I wonder if you can recall one of those moments in your life where you've had a really big and exciting announcement to make. Can you recall any of those moments? Maybe it was that you, you got your GCSE results or your A-levels coming up soon. Guys, don't worry about it. It's all going to be okay. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you got offered a place at, at that, that university that you'd hoped to, to get into and you just wanted to let everybody know about it. Maybe, maybe it was that you got a new job or a promotion at work. Perhaps you got engaged and you wanted to let everyone know about it. Or maybe you found out that you were having a baby. And, and I wonder what your approach was to that big announcement as it came. I imagine that it went something like this. I guess that you probably called up a few of the people who were closest to you to, to let them know firsthand. And then maybe to a few others, you sent some DMs, some, some text messages to let them know before finally announcing it publicly, perhaps on your social media feeds to let everyone know. Well, a common announcement that seems to have just been taken to the next level in, in recent years is the gender reveal. Have you seen these gender reveal announcements? Have you seen these on social media? This whole pink or blue thing? So maybe like um, they've got like a confetti cannon and they're going to fire the confetti cannon and if pink confetti comes out it's a girl or if blue confetti comes out it's a boy or maybe uh, maybe it's that they've got a cake and they're going to cut the cake and, and whatever the colour, the icing of the cake is in the middle and, and it's this whole kind of grand thing and they film it and put it on social media and this is how they make the big announcement about the gender of their baby. Well, I wanted to show you a few gender reveal announcements that didn't quite go to plan. <laughs> I wonder if you ever had a big announcement to make. Something that you just had to make sure that everybody knew about. Well, when Jesus had an important announcement to make, something that he wanted to make sure everybody knew and understood, he took a slightly different approach. First, he rose from the dead. I'm assuming because if you can predict your own death and resurrection and then pull it off, people will take what you have to say seriously. And then, and then uh, having risen from the dead, he, he gathered his disciples together in Galilee for one final moment of teaching for the big announcement. And he does this. Because after three years of input, Jesus wants to leave his disciples with one big idea just ringing in their ears. One, one big idea to remember and act upon. He wants to, in this moment, commission them with an assignment to leave them with a critical mandate ringing in their ears. And so he gathers his followers together and he says these words. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And his disciples are like, yeah, we believe you. We just saw you crucified and risen from the dead. We get that, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, here it is, here comes the mandate, here comes the announcement, here comes the assignment, the instruction. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have 
commanded you. And surely, I love this promise, surely I am with you always. I love that Jesus is always with us, don't you? Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then in the ultimate mic drop, he ascends into heaven. (laughs) That is how to pull off an announcement. And this announcement, or perhaps it's better to call it a pronouncement, is of course what you and I now refer to as the Great Commission. The assignment to which Jesus gave to his followers, the the mandate to which he appointed them, and, and crucially, not just to them, but to Every single one of us who would profess to be a disciple of Jesus from that day forward. Mike Breen says it like this. Every disciple disciples. You can't be a disciple if you aren't willing to invest in and disciple others. That is simply the call of the Great Commission. The Great Commission that we've just read. David Platt says, from the start. God's design has been for every single disciple of Jesus to what? Make disciples until the gospel spreads to all peoples. And Bill Hull, he says it like this. Everyone who is called to salvation is called to discipleship. No exceptions, no excuses. See, we can start churches, we can build world mission organizations, we can lead universities, we can talk at conferences and preach to large gatherings. But if we are not making disciples, we are neglecting this call that Jesus gave to who? To each and every disciple. To each and every disciple. Friends, make no mistake. When Jesus said, if you are a follower of Jesus here today, when he said, go and make disciples, he was talking to you. Not just the person sitting next to you. Not just that older, more mature Christian than you. No, when the great commission to go and make disciples is for every disciple. No exceptions, no excuses. And here's why this is important. You see, when Jesus made this announcement, when he gave us this great commission, what he did is he, he, he gave us a mandate and a methodology. A mandate and a methodology. What was the mandate? The mandate was to teach everyone in every nation everything he has commanded. Everyone in every nation, everything he has commanded. What was the methodology? To make disciples. And friends, this is how the church went from 120 people in an an upper room to 50% of the entire Roman Empire in a matter of 250 years. They simply obeyed Jesus' great commission to go and make disciples. They had a way of reproducing the life of Jesus in everyday Christians, teaching them how to, to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to do the things that Jesus did. And these disciples did it on purpose. See, I really believe that discipleship, disciple making at its heart, is about world revolution. 
And you know, sometimes we create this, what I would say is a false dichotomy. And we say like, well, it's mission and evangelism over here. And it's discipleship or disciple making over here. But no, no. Discipleship is about mission and evangelism. It is about the heart of God that all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And that's how important this is. And that's why every person who is called to salvation is called to discipleship. No exceptions, no excuses. Which, to me, raises one critically important question. And the question is this. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, what exactly did he mean? When Jesus told us, when he gave us that commission, go and make disciples, what exactly did he mean? And and this is a really important question because as, as Paul Clayton Gibbs observes, when we respond to Jesus' statement, go and make disciples, we seem to have agreed to a fundamentally different idea. And this is a problem. Why? Because, as we've already explored, go and make disciples is not a proposal, it is a commandment a commandment so when Jesus said go and make disciples what did he mean what does that look like how do we do it how do we make disciples like Jesus made disciples and with that question in mind why don't we take a few moments to pray together Lord Jesus, we thank you for the truth of God's word. We thank you for the fact that it is sharper than a double-edged sword. And Lord, we, we pray that as we open it together in these moments, Holy Spirit, you would illuminate the things that you are wanting to say to us and to call us to in these days. Help us, Lord. Help us to have open hearts and minds to the whispers of the Spirit. For your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So when Jesus said, go and make disciples, what exactly did he mean? How do we make disciples like Jesus made disciples? Well, that's the question that we're going to give the remainder of our time to answering this morning. And with that in mind, we're going to do a little bit of a study in Mark's gospel this morning. And so if you've got a Bible with you, why don't you turn to it or turn it on? Um, And we're going to Mark chapter 5 first of all. Mark chapter 5. And as you find Mark chapter 5, it will aid our study together this morning to first say a few words about what discipleship isn't. What discipleship isn't. Because you see, discipleship isn't an event or a program or a class or a curriculum. And whilst, of course, all of these things can add value and contribute to somebody's discipleship journey, they are not in themselves disciple-making. Here's what Mike Green says again. He says that the Western church has been trying to do discipleship through curriculum for years and years. And we've come up with some of the best, most exciting, most innovative, gorgeously designed discipleship curriculum ever seen in human history and it's great stuff. But did Jesus do discipleship this way? That's the question we're asking today. No, he didn't do discipleship through information alone. He coupled it with, this is crucial, he coupled it with access to his life 
so his disciples could imitate him. And that's the way of Jesus. And we live into that by giving others access to our lives and offering ourselves as a living, breathing example to imitate. So, you see, though discipleship programs and and classes can serve us absolutely, it's important that we understand that discipleship is not a program that's run by church leaders. It's a way of life for everyday believers. And you know that's true because it rhymes. Okay, discipleship is not a program that's run by church leaders. It is a way of life for everyday believers, for every disciple of Jesus. Because thinking that we can disciple somebody by sending them to a class is like, Showing up at a nursery and spraying the babies with milk and then claiming that you fed them. This isn't how it works because discipleship isn't a program that we launch. It's a a lifestyle that we embrace. It's something that we live out in the moments of our day today. And this is what we'll see now in the life of Jesus in Mark's Gospel because I find this really fascinating. I hope you enjoy going on this journey in Mark's Gospel this morning because in Mark's Gospel there are actually three occasions where Jesus invites Peter, James and John to experience something with him that none of the others get to experience. And as we examine these stories together this morning, I I think we're going to come to understand what Jesus meant when he said, go and make disciples. Our first story is from Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read, first of all, from verse 21. It says this. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He earnestly pleaded with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. And if you're familiar with the story, what what happens next is that there's an interruption. And there's a a woman who's had a problem with bleeding over a number of years. And she comes and she reaches out and she touches the hem of of Jesus' garment. It would have been his prayer shawl. And, and, And she's miraculously healed in that moment. We're going to move on to verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue lord, and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Here it is. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, what is all of this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, so we've just got the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, that's Peter, James and John, went in to where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely 
astonished. So Jesus, he invites Peter, James, and John to experience this moment with him in their discipleship journey. And what is it? It's a moment of imitation. It's a moment of demonstrated competency. It's a, it's a teaching moment. It's a training moment. It's a passing on to his disciples of how to do what he does. But crucially, this is the crucial thing, by sharing in the experience of doing it. Paul Clayton Gibbs again says this. He says that small group discussions, they certainly can be part of the discipleship process, but please understand that to some degree, a discipleship class is an oxymoron. Because when Jesus thinks of discipleship, he imagines you taking others on an experience that you yourself are already having. And this is just what Jesus is doing here in the text, isn't it? He's um, giving Peter, James, and John behind the scenes access to his process. He's inviting them on a journey that he is already having. He's offering himself as a living, breathing example to imitate. And this is what Jesus means when he says to us, go and make disciples. It's, it's an instruction to model in our lives that which we want to see replicated in the lives of other Jesus followers. Which makes me confront a really challenging question. A really uncomfortable question. And the question is this. If the people around me imitated my life, would that be a good thing? If the people around me who I'm trying to invest in and help to follow Jesus, if they imitated how I pray, how I worship Jesus, how I read the scripture, would that be a good thing? If they imitated how I manage my finances or, or applied myself at school or, or at work, if they imitated how I love my family, how I love my enemy, would that be a good thing? The Apostle Paul, he said these words to those he was discipling in Philippi. He said, join together in following my example, Paul, my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And so, friends, if you and I are intent on becoming disciple makers in raising a generation of Jesus followers, then you and I, we must be able to say the same because what Jesus models is that discipleship is about imitation. Imitation. All right, let's move on to our next story. Why don't you turn over a couple of pages to the right to chapter 9. Chapter 9, and our second story where Jesus invites Peter, James, and John away with him begins in chapter 9 and verse 2. It says... That after six days, Jesus took, here they are again, Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. Hmm, similar to the last one. There, he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus and Peter said to Jesus, I love this. This is the kind of thing that if this wasn't a true story, this bit wouldn't be included in it. Do you know what I mean? I love this bit. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. 
let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Mark, who writes the account of the story, he like feels like he has to kind of excuse Peter a bit for this. So he says, he didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. You know, go easy on Peter here. <laughs> then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Here's the next story. This is the next moment that Peter invites, uh, Jesus invites Peter, James, and John to come away with him. And what is it this time? This time it's an identity moment. A moment where Jesus invites those disciples closest to him to see the reality of who he was. And not just, not just in his public ministry, but who he was behind the scenes. And this is the moment that it clicks for Peter, James, and John where they say, oh, Okay, so he's not just a rabbi. He's not just a prophet. Jesus, he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And, and Jesus is giving Peter, James, and John this backstage pass into his personhood. But notice now what happens next, because I think this tells us something really interesting about disciple-making as well. From verse 8. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had been risen from the dead. And so we see here that it is only the three, it's only his closest disciples that Jesus invites into this moment. And it serves to demonstrate that you can't, that I can't, that we can't do this with everyone. Because discipleship in this way doesn't happen in in the crowd. There's value to the crowd. It's a picture of heaven, Revelation 7. But discipleship in this way happens in close community, happens in intimacy, happens in proximity. So we cannot do this with everyone. We're not expected to do this with everyone. Not even Jesus did this with everyone. But if we want to effectively make disciples, then you and I must invite a few people into our lives to whom God calls us and to give them that behind-the-scenes access into the reality of our identity, which leads us on very nicely to the third occasion in Mark's gospel uh, that Jesus shares exclusively with Peter, James, and John. And I think this is a really powerful one. Turn with me a few more pages to chapter 14 chapter 14 if you would we're going to read from verse 32 this is a powerful story chapter 14 and verse 32 they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples sit here while I pray here it is he took Peter James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled my soul It's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. And I just think this one is really important, really challenging, because what does Jesus do here with Peter, James, and John? He invites them into a moment of intimacy. This is a moment of deep sorrow, isn't it? There's no pretense here from Jesus. There's no show Jesus invites them into the raw, unedited reality of his emotions. 
And in these three stories, we, we see something profound, something significant about how Jesus made disciples. Imitation, identity, and intimacy. He gave his disciples that behind-the-scenes access into the reality of his process, of his personhood, and of his passion, of his competency, of his character, and of his concerns. And the overriding theme that we see in all three of these stories is proximity. Proximity. And you know, what the Lord showed me through the scripture is what I want to share with you now, friends. It's this, that you cannot make disciples from a distance. You cannot make disciples from a distance. You, you cannot make disciples only by sending them on a course or, or through a class or through a program. And that stuff is all good, but only as a supplement to and not a substitute for discipling relationships. Because discipleship happens in proximity. It's in this raw, unedited, personal, powerful space that, that God calls us to make disciples. And it is the call for everyone who calls themselves a Christian. And guys, I need to tell you what, what happened to me a little while ago as I read these stories uh, in Mark's Gospel. Do you ever have one of those moments like with the Lord which is both like wonderful and awful at the same time. <laughs> Do you ever have these moments with the Holy Spirit? Because I had one of these moments as I read, the, read these stories and I had this revelation and the Lord asked me a question and he said to me, Tim, who are you discipling? <laughs> and I had this like horrible realization that in truth, the answer was no one. Not, not, not in the way that Jesus did anyway. I, I could point to some people who I was maybe mentoring or coaching. I might meet with them once a month and speak a little into their life or leadership. But, but not, not in this way. Not like Jesus did. And I, and I had this, this, this sense in that moment that if I were to die that day and I was to meet Jesus... And I was to give an account of my life, which I know that one day I'll have to do. I'm saved by faith, but I'll give, it, I'll give an account for my works. And, and I would say to him, Lord Jesus, I just loved you so much. And, and Lord, you know what? I, I like gave my life to you. And, and God, do you, do you see what I did? Is, is I preached in, in these places and, and people gave their lives to you for the first time. Isn't that wonderful, Lord? And, and God, I organized these events. Did you, did you see those? And we gathered together and we worshipped you. Did, you. did you see that, Lord? And Jesus, just with love in his eyes and with a warm smile on his face, would say to me, Tim, I saw that and I, and I loved that and, and I received that as an act of worship. But Tim, do you remember that thing that I asked you to do? Go and make disciples. And I'd say, ah. Oh. Yeah, I missed it, didn't I? And so I made some changes from that day. And Paul's words uh, to the Thessalonians have become something of a life verse to me since that moment. Paul says these words, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, do you see the language of proximity and intimacy? 
Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, not only information, but also our lives as well, that access. Do you see? Discipleship, it happens in proximity. Not only through the sharing of information, though of course that's important, but through the sharing of your life, of our lives. So may I be just provocative one more time because I'm going home after this and I can get away with it. What if the Holy Spirit asked you the same question he asked me? How would you answer it this morning, I wonder? Who are you discipling? Perhaps you can point to those people who you have invited into your life, to whom you've given that access to the behind-the-scenes reality of of your process, of your identity, of of your emotions. And if you can do that, that's wonderful. And, And you can help the rest of us to learn how to make disciples like Jesus made disciples. But if you can't, then there's one thing from today's message that I want you to know. And there's one thing from today's message that I would just love for you to do. A little bit of a challenge, a little bit of a takeaway, a little bit of an application. The one thing that I want you to know, the one thing that I want you to remember today is this. That everyone who is called to salvation is called to discipleship. No exceptions, no excuses. That the mandate, the great commission to make disciples like Jesus made disciples is for every disciple. And the one thing I'd like you to do, the challenge I'd like to give you today is this. The application is this. Would you go away this week and take one day this week to fast and to pray? This is my challenge and my encouragement to you. It's by invitation, of course. That the invitation is to take one day this week to fast and to pray. And in those moments where you would usually be eating... And if you can't fast food for a a medical reason, then you might choose to fast something else like television or your phone or whatever it is. In that moment where you'd usually be doing that thing, you would take some time with the Holy Spirit to pray. And you would ask the Lord, give me names, a name. Give me faces, a face um, of people who you might be able to invite into some kind of spiritual parenting relationship with you, some kind of discipling relationship with you, to go away and to really ask the Holy Spirit, who can I invest in, Lord? Who can I help to follow you? Who can I invite into my life and into my home and help to follow you, Jesus? Who can I disciple? Now, as I finish, I'm wrapping up. Let me close by giving you a reason why You cannot, you should not, and you must not leave this teaching in the building when you exit the doors at the back of the room today. I want you to imagine for me, if you would, a church with, let's say, 100 people in it. And this church is a healthy church. They gather together uh, as a large community for, for worship services, as we see in the scripture. They meet together in small groups in homes, as we see in the scripture. They learn from one another how to spend time with God on their own day by day. And that's good. That's all good and healthy and necessary stuff. But this is where most of us stop. But imagine for me now if those same 100 people were to imitate Jesus and invite their own Peter, James, and John into a discipling relationship with them. 
Well then, we would have 300 disciples being made. Imagine then that these 300 caught that same disciple-making vision and they went and did likewise. Well, in two years, there would be 1,200 people in intentional discipling, disciple-making, apprenticing to Jesus kind of relationships. By the end of year three, there could be 3,900. Year four, 12,000. Within only a decade, those 100 people could see 2 million becoming followers, apprentices, and disciples of Jesus. And friends, 2 million passionate Jesus followers would change a generation. It could even be enough to, to reach a cultural tipping point that would change a nation. And, and do you see that, that, that we can't all be preachers? We can't all like run events and, and give messages, but we can all make disciples. All of us can do that. All of us who've been saved by grace can do that. All of us can pass on the things that the Lord has shown to us. All of us can make disciples. Because many small people in many small places doing many small things can change the face of the world. This is how it happens. Steve Addison writes these words. Christianity ultimately conquered the Roman world without an organizational structure, without access to significant resources or academic institutions, without a professionalized clergy. Ordinary people, people like you and I, on fire with the love of Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit, simply told their families and their friends and their casual acquaintances about what God had done for them. The mandate, tell everyone in every nation everything I have commanded. The methodology, go and make disciples. Friends, you and I are called to be disciple makers. Disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. Because everyone who is called to salvation is called to discipleship. No exceptions, no excuses. So, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why don't we pray together as our worship team join us again. Heavenly Father, we just acknowledge the reality that many of us are sitting in this room today because somebody decided to open their lives to us and help us to follow you. Maybe that was a literal parent. Maybe that was a spiritual parent. But somebody decided that they would give something of themselves. And Lord, we know that that, that person, those people, they probably felt like they weren't wise enough. They probably felt like they weren't mature enough. They probably felt like they didn't have all of the answers. 
but none of us do. And so we want to say thank you, Lord Jesus, for the people who've invested in us over our lives, the people who've just shared something of their life with us, the people who've invited us to their dinner table, the people who've helped us to understand the word and the ways of God. And we pray that you would help us to pay it forward, that you'd help us to imitate you, Lord Jesus, and to make disciples in the way that you made disciples. And so, Lord God, as we take up the challenge this week to fast and pray, we pray that you'd speak to us. Just as you went away, you went up the mountain and you fasted and you prayed and you, and, and, and you came down the mountain and you called some people to follow you. Lord, may, may you make really clear to us this week, those people who maybe we already are, or maybe we could just invite into our lives and invest a little something of Jesus into. Lord, help us to be a disciple-making people. Help the church here in Plymouth, the church in this nation to be a disciple-making church, we pray, that we might bring you glory. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, we pray.